It's football and are the F words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F words pod. He's Mike Curtin. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Curtin NFL. We are sponsored by Bluegrass Beverages. Uh, come to find out they don't have something called the in crowd. It's like the Bob. So you need to join both the in crowd for sinkers beverages and the Bob for bluegrass beverages to make sure that you are on the list for both with their exclusive offerings and fantastic deals and possibly a little bit of, um, I guess you could say a little bit of upcoming sweepstakes as well. So you need to make sure that you are all signed up for all those bluegrass beverages in Hendersonville. I've been around since the seventies longer than me and Mike. Um, Parkarski.com is where you can find Mike's written work. You can find my written work at stackingtheinbox.com. You could buy both subscriptions to both, if I'm not mistaken, for just that $10. Is he still $5.99 or something like that? Uh, yeah, $5.99, I believe. There you correct. go. So, like, just right at $10, you can get both of our, uh, all the daily content you could want. Lots and lots of articles, film analysis, all kinds of detailed analysis, facts and opinions, all that stuff that you crave from your Titans written websites. Unless you are a weirdo and you just want, you know, the same old articles that you can get at both, you know, Titans Wire, Titan Size, you know, the, the, the copy pasta articles that everybody writes that has really no substance to them. We bring you substance, no empty calories at podcarski.com and stackingtheinbox.com. It's the dead period, which we could kind of talk about why it's technically not the dead period a little too. So, but we got a kind of like a, I call it a potpourri, you know, like uh, on Jeopardy, a potpourri of topics, a uh, tight topics ahead for you guys today. I do like the potpourri category. Yeah. Always. Uh, yeah. Always. always. Uh, potpourri is always great. Uh, I feel like it's a lost uh, item in households. I don't think people really oh, yeah. have. Pop- Do you even have potpourri in your bathroom? No. We have poopourri, you know, the little uh, spray, you know, yeah. that you, you're supposed to spray in the toilet. It's not after you flush. You're supposed to spray, uh, uh, spray it as you flush. So you got to make sure that you get your poopourri right. It's uh, interesting. Yeah, no, so we do have like the Febreze air stuff, but yeah. you know, no. I guess that's no. replaced everything now. No, yeah. no more. I guess too many kids were eating actual potpourri because you know <laughs> obviously they they're they'll eat uh um, well, anything 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 well i mean you got teenagers eating tide pods and all that kind of stuff to really date ourselves um you know all that kind of stuff okay let's talk about the dead period because i think everybody is kind of under the impression at this point that nothing happens in the dead period which technically, yes, even though that we will likely have a DeAndre Hopkins decision during all this, maybe you'll see like a trade or something. But it's not really a dead period for the players. And I think that is a big distinction that we need to make on this show is that every player, especially the rookies, especially people like Malik Willis, like Will Levis, these young players like Jalen Duncan that and undrafted free agents are all kind of sent home with homework, right? They these these are merely suggestions, but they are like hardcore suggestions for a player. And if you follow this to a T, these suggestions, this homework, you should be prepared for training camp. Now, this obviously is in conjunction with you know staying healthy, uh, staying in shape. 
which is also probably given to many people. Here's a plan. Here's a diet plan, blah, blah, blah. Because you don't get any interaction inside the building through this. So don't you agree that maybe dead period gives off this wrong vibe? Because not everybody's in the media, right? Yeah, I mean, there's from a news standpoint, it's dead. Um, but, I mean, Mike Vrabel said it before they wrapped OTAs that the next six weeks are the most important six weeks of the season in his view that guys going and taking care of themselves, not getting in trouble, not, you know, going and, and partying for six weeks in Ibiza or whatever, um, continuing to work out, continuing to do what the coaches have asked them to do to be prepared, to be ready to go when training camp opens is, is critical. And it, I do think that's something that there's a lot of stuff that kind of gets lost. I feel like, because it's the transactions are easier to talk about the, you know, coaching, hiring and firing is easier to talk about, but a lot of the stuff, I think a lot of the secret sauce of the NFL is really how well, how well are coaches organized as far as getting their players, you know, better from year to year, improving their players, giving them tools to get better. And then how mature is your roster as far as the leadership, as far as the players that are, you know, from top to bottom, how much are they focused on being the best that they can be versus how much are they happy to be in the NFL and excited to, you know, be able to wear the team gear and collect the paycheck and, you know, tell, tell girls that they're uh, football players, you know? So I think there's a lot of, I think there's wide spectrum on that. Like what, what different teams are like. And I think that's what, in a word that boils down to culture, I think is, is what that ultimately gets boiled down to from a talking point standpoint. But I, I think there's a lot that goes into that. And I think it's super important to how teams operate. Yeah. Isn't this the, this dead period isn't this really where Isaiah Wilson went just insane? <laughs> like uh, <laughs> this was that period of time. So like, it's crucial to stay in for a player to stay engaged, right? Like I'm sure that Traylon Burks is not just going to be sitting on his ass, eating beef jerky and killing pigs. I'm sure he's actually working to make sure that he maintains and carries momentum into training camp that he has started with, you know, like, you learn. So obviously Traylon Burks, who just went through that should be able to impart that wisdom to this rookie class. Like you got to learn from me. You have to stay engaged. You have to stay in shape. This is a critical moment for your growth as a football player. And it's a good way to show the team that you are committed. Like I think of a guy like Jalen Duncan, who, who comes from a program in Maryland that we have both talked about that, didn't really it's kind of like they just throw football players out there like okay you're a football player we're just gonna throw you out there uh learn on the fly and he's a guy that's probably a little bit behind on technique a little bit behind on strength and staying in shape and all that kind of stuff and this is a good time for him to show and prove maybe some doubters wrong that he is just a six round throwaway pick and you know, you think of Will Levis, who we'll talk about a little bit more in depth between him and Malik Willis, but Will Levis, a guy that's been coined that doesn't make the same mistake twice, does he improve upon that, make a jump, and, you know, not make the same mistakes twice, right? Like, if he comes back and keeps making the same mistakes he was making in OTAs and minicamp, 
then he is the guy that makes the same mistakes twice. And that's not a good sign because I, I talk about it on Thursday. I, I talk about was choosing the glow up the right move and what happens if it fails and what happens if it succeeds. And contrary to popular belief among the fan base, these coaches also coach during the regular season and they do practice during the regular season when there's not eyes on them in the media, right? There's like team meetings, there's film meetings, there's taking what you're told in, in the meeting room and bringing it out to practice. Like, like there is the, that stuff. The media reports on the tip of the iceberg, literally. And it's yeah. not the media's fault because they are not allowed access to, and they are not even allowed to talk about big chunks of practice or certain things in practice. Like the reason you don't get like, well, well, this was the first team offensive line this week is there are media rules. And if you do not follow those rules, they will pull your credential and, and not let you back in the building. Um, so the media literally reports on the tip of the iceberg and they can only video like to give you a little behind the scenes, like you're only allowed to video, like maybe one to two periods of practice per day when you're out there. So that's why you don't get a ton of video of all the other stuff. You get like little bitty bits of individual drills. Occasionally they'll let you do one-on-ones, um, during training camp, but that's it. That's all you get to video. So, um, and the, yeah, like you said, there's more practices, there's more meeting rooms, there's more film review, there's more lifting and everything else that goes into I, the players are literally there like eight hours a day plus, especially during training camp. I mean, during training camp, it's probably longer hours than that. But the media is only there for maybe two hours, you know, the, the two hour practice session and they're only able to report on certain things and they're only able to film like maybe 10 minutes of it. Um, so. there is a ton that happens and a ton of things going on that the media doesn't even know about uh, and some that they can't tell you about. Um, So it's, it's, there's, yeah, there's a lot that happens that, you know, but they can get a good sense of Will Levis's progression throughout the year without him playing in a, in a game. And so like, to me, it almost is like, there needs to be some level of success, team success in 2023 for this glow up to be considered a, a success. But it all, a lot of it hinges on Will Levis's growth. And this is a critical moment. These five weeks, I believe it is, is a critical moment for Will Levis's growth to show that he can be the guy that they want him to be, right? Like they want him to be the guy and all that kind of stuff. But Let's let's move away from this topic because we're gonna kind of dive back into this topic a little bit later. I, I'm I'm a I'm a little we've kind of touched on it throughout the course of this past season and this off season, but the the run pass ratio thing is being hung around the neck of Mike Vrabel. Is his philosophy his thing? And and while I do agree that is how most defensive uh, minded head coach want to to play the game. They want to have an efficient run game with a uh, mistake-free passing game and a really good defense. And why some people think that may not be a recipe for success, but we have talked about that is exactly like San Francisco's model is essentially they have a really great defense, right? I mean, like it's it's not really often talked about how great the defense is for San Francisco. 
they've had really good coordinators, really good players. They found have found players. Two of those players are now on the Tennessee Titans team. I mean, it's a really good defense, and they run the ball a lot. And so today, it was about first to say that how can Tannehill be prove that he is good in the playoffs if they run on first and second down so much? Which doesn't really make sense to me because it's like then you got to make you got to make make it count when you are asked to pass, and he has not done that his last two playoff appearances. So, I, I will I, say this yeah. towards that though: passing on third down is a much harder proposition than passing on first and second down because you the defense knows it's coming. Um, they know where the first down marker is. There's there's it's a, it's much more difficult to throw the football. In, in passing stats, uniformly are depressed on third downs relative to first and second down passing, which is why so many people want to see more passes on first and second down and why Tannehill, when he is just asked to to bail him out of third and long situations after two failed runs, is being set up for failure to some degree. And and I although I do, do agree with your point that yeah, I do Tannehill want them to pass to more, more, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I do want them to pass more first down, be less predictable. But I, I kind of wanted to throw this out there because you know, uh, Will Lomas is also one of the guys. He's the guy that kind of sparked this conversation. And then he's also the guy who said they should have fired Vrabel and promoted Art Smith and all this stuff. So, like, he he hates Vrabel. He could say he doesn't hate Vrabel, but we all see yeah. the tweets, right? Like, yeah. I mean. Not a, a Vrabel, tweet, not a Vrabel fan. It could be a tweet about Golden State Warriors, and he's going to somehow turn it into a Mike Vrabel tweet. <laughs> like, I'm sure the submarine is somehow Mike Vrabel's fault. Absolutely. That's all fine and good. You know, there's people on both ends of the spectrum, right? There's people that just defend Mike Vrabel blindly, and there's people that say Ryan Tannehill is the worst quarterback ever in the history of the Tennessee Titans. You know, like there's, yeah, there's there's extremists on all sides on all topics. But I let's bring some substance to it. Over the last two seasons, so Todd Downing's full two seasons in 2021 and 2022, they averaged on first and second down just one more rushing play per game than the San Francisco 49ers. Just think about that. That's just one less. To me, the issue has been for the Tennessee Titans isn't that they're calling a run play or isn't that they're calling a pass play in certain situations. To me, it's that they just haven't been efficient because the play design or the personnel that they have had the last two seasons. Like we saw it work with Arthur Smith, right? right. I mean, like if you look at it, uh, and during Arthur Smith's tenure, they ran the ball an average of 28.1 plays per game. 28.1 plays per game. They ran the ball. Under Todd Downing in um in 2021 and 2022, they averaged 27.6. So a little bit less. Not by much, but a little bit less. The difference is, is that they passed more because they had more plays. So per game, they passed more because they had more plays because they were efficient. But they also scored a lot. And that is the problem because the play design by Art Smith is so much better than the play design of Todd Down. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, and that is ultimately the thing. It's, it is still effectively the same offense that they've run for you know the past 
six years now um, here. The difference has been that when you put better players in it, it's more effective. And when you have a better coach and a better play caller, it's more effective. So it's not, I don't think it's necessarily that this style of football does not work. I mean, they hit the fourth best offense in the entire NFL in uh, 2020 and they ran the hell out of the ball. Right. So I, I don't think it's that this is a doom to fail scheme or, or that, you know, running the ball can't be effective in the NFL. I, I don't think that's true at all. I just think, and, and to Vrabel, to the Vrabel part of that, you know, I do agree that he is probably dictated to some degree that, hey, we are going to run the football. But I think it's because, it's not because Vrabel is some like, at least in my opinion, I, there's no evidence either way on this, right? Because we've only seen it basically one way. Is that Mike Vrabel has looked at this roster ever since he's been here and said, look, this team is built to run the ball. This, uh, the roster that I have is built to run the ball. In 2018, when he got there, uh, you know they had uh, Corey Davis, but they didn't have A.J. Brown yet. So they didn't have good receivers. They had Marcus yeah, Mariota. Yeah, they had Marcus Mariota throwing the football. Um, and by the way, Marcus Mariota gets hurt immediately uh, yeah. in that season and can't throw. Uh, Delaney Walker gets hurt immediately in that season, and he's their best pass catcher. Um, and so they ran the ball a lot. And, and then Derrick Henry emerges at the end of, um, I guess it was, it, it was, yeah, it was it the was end of 2018. Um, and then he's their best player from then on. And they built the offense around Henry and the you know offensive line, which at that time was, was pretty good. Um, and it's, that's always made sense. So I think we're now at a point where, if you look at the way that the offensive line is built, if you look at Henry's age and effectiveness, and if you look at, uh, you know, I guess the team around uh, or the roster around Brable, that it is less clear that this is supposed to be a running team. And I'm very interested to see if that shifts now. That is, is Brable just trying to build the best offense that he can with the pieces and parts available to him? Or is this a, I believe this is the way it has to be done. We're going to hit this number of runs every game, no matter what. Uh, and this is the way it's always going to be. Because I, I don't think Vrabel is an idiot. I, I just don't. I, I think he's a very intelligent guy. Um, and maybe a little stubborn or maybe a little hard-headed at times. But I think he's smart enough to understand where the league is and where it's going and also understand what his team is. Because if you ask Ryan Tannehill to drop back 45 times a game and play like Patrick Mahomes, guess what? It's not going to go like that. It's not going to be like the Chiefs um, just because he threw it a whole bunch. Um, I think maybe if Will Levis turns out to be this you know franchise quarterback that they've been looking for, I think they're going to give him the opportunity to throw the ball around the yard and make plays and put the ball in his hands and be a – quarterback passing game driven team i think that will happen i just don't think it's going to happen until it's clear that that is the best way to win because that, that ultimately like, is what brable cares about ultimately isn't like i guess i guess we've always talked about this this particular team and it and i do think that it is somewhat of an issue that it's the the run and pass game are very symbiotic now, a lot of offenses are like that, but this specific team, like 
that is how it's kind of worked. But because Derrick Henry was so successful, that allowed other players in the passing game to be successful. And when he's less successful, that means that other te- other players on this team are less successful. And that what that shows you is that Derrick Henry has clearly been the arguably the best player on every version of the Mike Vrabel Titans. And you want to give the best player the ball. A.J. Brown, even when he was here, you can make an argument for A.J. Brown, and I probably wouldn't push back too hard. But Derrick Henry went for 2,000 yards while A.J. Brown was here, right? Like <laughs> We got to remember that Derrick Henry done a lot. You can win with A.J. Brown, right? I mean, you can if he's the focal point of your offense, which your number one wide receiver should be your focal point, you should find ways to get him the ball too. But it's not like Derrick Henry is some slouch. And at this point, when you're looking at the team last year, who else are you going to give the ball to? Robert Woods, and who couldn't move? Yeah, Austin Hooper. I mean, like these guys, these are good players. Like, I don't understand why it's so far fetched to think that, okay, well, Derrick Henry's the best player. The best chance that we have to move the ball with this offensive line's pass protection and Robert Woods as our number one wide receiver because Traylon Burks couldn't stay healthy and Kyle Phillips got injured and they refused to use Chigakonkwu in any kind of way for like the first eight or nine weeks. This That was the way. That was the way that they could win. And we know... That based on comments by Mike Vrabel, he gives his uh, his coordinators a little too much leeway to decide who is the best players to field at any given point. It's a lot easier on the defense because Shane Bowen and Jim Schwartz could be trusted. But Keith Carter and Todd Downing cannot be trusted, and he gave them a little too much leeway. Maybe that is an issue that he's hoping to correct, or maybe he trusts Tim Kelly to do the job correctly and all this stuff, but... I don't know. It's like, it. I don't feel it's a Mike Vrabel thing as much as it was a, this is the only way I could devise for us to win. And maybe that is a Mike Vrabel thing. Maybe people are going to take that phrase and think, well, if this is the only way he thinks he can win, then he's an idiot and he needs to figure out more stuff. But I would guarantee you, <clears throat> almost any coach would come in, <coughs> excuse me, offensive or defensive-minded and say, Derrick Henry is clearly the best player on this team in 2022. Ryan Tannehill is a distant second, and we have to set up Ryan Tannehill for success through Derrick Henry. And unfortunately, the offensive line did not allow that. I mean, that's kind of where I feel like it's at. Like, it to me, it's like Todd Downing, offensive line, like 1A, 1B, then it's everybody else, like a distant third. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think it's... I, I think that that's what that what that is what makes this season very interesting to me because everything we've heard we've you know heard, heard all the discussion about Tim Kelly changing the terminology them going faster more tempo that kind of thing I'm super interested to hear or not to hear to see what this offense actually looks like and how it it changes in a team where you know I'm not saying Traylon Burks is better than Derrick Henry right now. But he might be like he might be by the time the season gets started, he might be your best weapon um, on offense. And, you know, if they sign DeAndre Hopkins, I think you could certainly make a case that that he would be 
your best weapon uh, day one. So I'm very interested to see how this thing evolves. And, and it's a look, we've talked about it all offseason. You were on this immediately um, that it's a pass blocking offensive line that they've built. Um, that th- these guys are all pass blockers first um, before before they're maulers in the run game. So I, I think it's going to be very, with the exception of maybe Brewer, but um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how all of this falls out. And I think we'll get a lot of answers about what Vrabel is and what, you know, Todd Kelly or not Todd Kelly, uh, <laughs> Todd <Don't> Downing <laughs> versus Tim Kelly, what the, that difference actually looks like. So I think it's going to be a super interesting season from that. Do I think they're going to come out first and second down every series and, and throw, you know, bombs all the time? No, they're, they're still going to be a team that wants to build off the run game, build off play action and use, Similar looking sets, a variety of ways. I mean, that's what we know that they want to do. They have pretty much. Oh man, I just like my my light just like took down a wall <laughs> oh, uh, shit. over here, like scratched it and everything. Shit. Uh, uh, but anyway, scared the shit out of Huxley. He's all like, "What the fuck just happened?" <laughs> uh, anyway, as I adjust my lights here uh, on the end of the computer, um. I just feel like it's just going to look different. It may not like probably for the first few weeks, it's probably not going to feel different, right? Like you're going to kind of look at it and think, well, this is just the same old offense, but eventually as it goes on and gets into a groove, you're going to notice that there are little minor things besides just the speed of which they play that makes this a little bit more successful. Like I, I don't think it's ever going to be like, 2020 2019 good but i think this year has a real chance to be way better than anything todd down downing fielded and that is a credit to mike vrabel for picking out this offensive staff like if you're gonna say that he's an idiot for hiring todd downing then he and if tim kelly comes in and is super successful then he's a genius for hiring coach haas for hiring charles london for hiring joseph otten all these guys that you know we kind of were like just meh yeah, no, they're okay. You know, you have he's a he's got to be the genius for that. You can't go around and say, "Well, that must have been Amy Adams Strunk," or you can't, you can't, you can't do it. No, like that's that's man. going back to the whole uh, Tim Kelly was doing the good plays and Dodd Downing was doing yeah. the bad plays last year thing. Like they, he was not- only forced to do it, right? Yeah. Like you know, yeah. that's that's what they're gonna say. Um, you, you mentioned DeAndre Hopkins and. There's there's still stuff coming out here and there. You know, he said that he can help any wide receiver room or whatever be better, which, duh. Uh, thanks for that tweet. We really needed it. Um, but uh, Mike Girardi put out this tweet, and there's a few elements I just kind of want to hit on real quick, but I also want to tie this into two other wide receivers. So he says, circled back on the DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes with a question mark in there for whatever reason. A source with knowledge of the situation hammered home. There is no rush to make a decision that there could be more out there in the coming weeks slash start a training camp, citing possibly a team unhappy with their wide receiver room or an injury. Source added that Hopkins liked his meeting with the Patriots, but has also had similar feelings about his trip to Nashville to sit with Vrabel and the Titans. They each offer something unique to Hopkins. Both teams told Hopkins he still has elite capabilities. Um, so 
I like that the team, and maybe they don't have to say it, but maybe they just say it anyway. No team had to really say that he has elite capabilities, right? Unless he like flat out asks, do you think I'm still elite? Like, which would be a very t- a weird, weird thing to put. But yeah. using the word elite, I think is a um, a good sign that the Titans know what know that DeAndre Hopkins is capable to perform at a level that they deem elite on this team. And they, I think, each offering something unique is is true too. I kind of don't believe because we don't know what the source close to the situation says or who that is, right? Yeah. I think it's an agent because I don't think there is going to be a third team between now and training camp unless there is some freak jet ski 4th of July boating accident to a wide receiver because you already know if you are unhappy with your wide receiver room after mini camp, right? Like there's nothing going to change between mini camp and training camp unless it's going to carry on into training camp which would be horrendous for everybody involved in the media that we have to do that go into training camp. So I feel like this is a false narrative being thrown out there that they think that a third team is going to suddenly emerge because the wide receiver room is unhappy. You know, I I would say, I I don't know that a a third team is suddenly going to emerge. I I think it's kind of the fact that there wasn't a third visit, uh, you know, already lined up after the Patriots one to me is pretty telling that like, those are the teams, those are the teams whose offers or who at least have, when they've talked money have been in a close enough ballpark that it made sense for him to make a trip out there and sit down and talk to them and kind of sort through the, the, you know, how are you going to use me, you know, meet and greet, all the, you know, that kind of thing. I think I think that's pretty interesting. But as far as the third team, the only way is like, yeah, if there's an injury maybe, um, I you know, the Chiefs still, I guess if they got a Chris Jones extension done that helped their cap situation and maybe, you know, they wanted to try to make something work, maybe if they aren't, super blown away with what Rasheed Rice has done uh, at OTAs. I could see maybe they, they get involved at some point because they were reportedly interested in a trade until the the money that Hopkins was wanting in a rework deal ended up not being uh, feasible for them. And, and they gave the, the money that they had earmarked for Hopkins to, uh, was it Donovan Smith, the, the left tackle? Um, so... I I'd imagine they're still out. Um, yeah, it's I'm, hard for me to get behind the Chiefs signing a guy to a one-year deal. That's not really how they've really operated. You know, they, I mean, they with Juju last year. Yeah, um, but I mean, like, Juju didn't really do much, right? And to me, it's almost like this team showed last year that they don't need to spend big money on a wide receiver. They are the quintessential. They're one of the few teams that don't have to, I feel like, but they don't have to spend big money on a wide receiver like DeAndre Hopkins. But it comes down to then, does DeAndre Hopkins change his mind and take a lesser deal to play with someone like Patrick Mahomes to get a Super Bowl and get in the Hall of Fame? Like, what's more important... For Deion, we don't, we, 
I I personally think that DeAndre Hopkins is way more concerned about money than a Super Bowl ring or Hall of Fame. But that does not mean that a football player could change his, his mind on a dime with the right situation and say, okay, the only thing I need to really cement Hall of Fame status is a Super Bowl ring. And I think that DeAndre Hopkins could then change his mind, but I just don't see the Chiefs being the team that enters into the fray. I really don't see any team entering the fray, barring, like I said, uh, one of their players decides to go down in a submarine to check out the Titanic and get stuck <laughs> down there. Like, I just don't see... I don't see any anybody. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, to me, the you know Chiefs what that means? That means that someone's going to suddenly show up and sign them. Like, it's just going to be announced. And maybe. I, I mean, yeah, there's just not a whole lot of other teams that make a ton of sense out there uh, that, that are both, like, fringe contenders or contenders and also have a big-time need at a wide receiver spot that they want to plug with a short-term option. And, and look, the Titans and Patriots, it both makes sense to some degree because I guess from the Patriots standpoint, their wide receivers are terrible. They've got Juju and basically nothing else. Um, and they're wanting to see what they've got in Mac Jones, I think, as much as anything. That they they feel like if if Mac to figure out what they have in Mac Jones, they need to give him adequate weapons uh to work with. And that the Titans, it makes sense because their wide receiver room is terrible. And they want to compete this year for the AFC South. And I don't think, you know, I, I've been hesitant about them being, whether they were going to be in the mode of trying to compete or if they were just kind of happy to take this as like a sideways step year. And I think they're kind of trying to do both. I think they're trying to take it as a sideways year from a standpoint of like, they didn't go commit a ton of money to future players like as far as like big free agent deals they didn't restructure a ton of guys and and add dead cap hits to future years now if they went to go get hopkins they would have to do some of that but not but it'd still be like almost nothing in the grand scheme of things um compared to what they've done the past few years on the restructure side and things like that so i feel like they're trying to kind of shoot that middle where it's like we can reset our cap for the most part, you know, we'll, we'll maybe do this dot, this Hopkins thing and borrow a little bit of money from next year. But for the most part, we're going to reset the cap. We're going to have a ton of cap space to work with, whether we do the Hopkins deal or not next offseason. But, hey, we could still compete for the division this year and, and then just get in the tournament, as uh, John Robinson used to, to call it, and see what happens from there. Because the um, Patriots are way far away from being contenders in their own division. I mean, they division are clearly... Yeah. clearly the fourth place team and even with so. Hopkins are clearly the fourth place team. Like yeah. it's ridiculous how, and maybe DeAndre Hopkins and a bill Belichick marriage somehow turns Mac Jones into something that he's not. And turns and Mac this, Jones was pretty good as a rookie, right? I mean, he's yeah. like, he pretty good. Hasn't um, been good since then. No, it, it was terrible last year with the, you know, defensive coordinator <laughs> calling plays and all the other mess that was going on in new England last year. But, I, yeah, I isn't think, the easier path to success and getting paid the Tennessee Titans, right? I think we yes, both agree on that. Yes, definitely. Um, the Titans can make that that money appear easier than I mean the Patriots can make the money appear easier than the Titans can, but the Titans can make it appear almost easier than anyone else. And you have automatic, you know, you step in your wide receiver one, 
and you uh, have an opportunity to go win the division. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty good setup for Hopkins. And you're with a coordinator that you're familiar with, that you've had good years under. You're not going to have to learn a brand new offense, brand new terminology from scratch. There's so many benefits for Hopkins to me being here in Nashville that I, I think it makes sense at the end of the day. We'll, we'll see. I, you know, the Bill Belichick, he does seem enamored with Bill Belichick for whatever reason. But, uh, which I mean, I get it. He's the, you know, greatest coach of, of all time. But um, I don't know that that outweighs everything else that the Titans can offer. Mike, would you rather have DeAndre Hopkins or trade for Stephon Diggs or T. Higgins? Now, this Stephon Diggs thing, I think, is getting way blown out of proportion. I don't believe that he's on the trading block. I don't believe that there's anything wrong in, in the Bills locker room or anything like that. But hypothetically, both are available, and then you still have DeAndre Hopkins. Are you still signing DeAndre Hopkins because of your the situation, your trades have put you in in 2024? Or are you going for the big splash and saying, hey, look, Stephon Diggs did wonder for Josh Allen. He could do wonders for Will Levis in 2024. We're going to trade for T. Higgins and extend him, and him and Traylon Burks are going to go off in 2024 and beyond with Will Levis at the helm. Like, where are you at mentally? Because you, I know that if I propose this, you'd be like, I think I think you would do T. Higgins, Stephon Diggs, then DeAndre Hopkins, while DeAndre Hopkins was with the Cardinals. I think DeAndre Hopkins, I perceive, I would guess, that would be your third option out of the three. But now that he's a free agent, does that change your mind? Would you rather have, like, like, how do you feel about all those guys? So I would, pro- I guess my first choice, I, I would like to have Higgins because he's young in his prime proven wide receiver one. You're going to have good years out of him over the next several years. Now I, I, to me, I don't know that Higgins makes a ton of sense for the Titans specifically, just because like, I think there's a lot of overlap with him and Burks from a skill set standpoint. And I don't know that like, you need another like ball winner um, vertical guy when you've got Burks on the roster already. Um, Can you I mean, have enough of those players? I mean, maybe, maybe you could say like, all right, well, we're just going to go like full twin towers here on the outside. And like, we're just going to throw up go balls to, to Burks and Higgins all, all afternoon and see if you can stop it, um, which isn't a bad strategy. I'd, I'd sign up to watch that for sure. Um, but Higgins would be my favorite of all the of all those choices. Hopkins by far is my second choice. I don't want anything to do with trading for Diggs because the price is going to be outrageous. Like you're going to have to give up, I'm sure, a first round pick um, to get him, and his contract is large. And frankly, I don't even know if the Bills can afford to trade him. Um, the, yeah, they, I don't is, think they can. Which is why I think this all ends up been, being moot anyways, yeah. is the fact that like the Bills can't afford to trade him because of the dead cap hit they would have to take on. Um, and they're already like in a terrible cap situation. So um, I don't think he's going to get traded, but you would have to take on a big contract. He's, he's 29 years old. I, I think he's going to be – he'll turn 30 this season. So it's not like he's that much younger than Hopkins. He's like a year, uh, year and a half, two years younger than Hopkins. Um, that to me, like if I can have Hopkins for half the price cap space wise 
and no draft co- capital whatsoever. Because the other thing is the Titans don't have any draft capital next year uh, to work with, which is still a little bit of a problem hanging out there for them. Um, but if you were to trade for Diggs, you'd have like no picks next year at all. Um, so to me, Higgins and Hopkins to me, like it's, it's almost like Higgins Hopkins is really close um, for me. Cause I, I think Hopkins, the fact that he's free from a draft capital standpoint and the cheapest out of the three of them from a financial commitment standpoint is very attractive to me. Yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd lay, I think I'd be there with you on that. Um, just wanted to, a little quick Hopkins update. Um, we got a lot I still want to get to, so let's let's go, let's switch gears. We're going to move off the Titans for just a little bit, and I want to talk about, um, yeah, boy, or yeah, boys in orange. Okay, I want to talk about your boys in orange, and I want to talk about this fan base that is Wait, which, in orange. Which one? Which one? Uh, the University of Tennessee. Okay. This golden era of sports, so the golden era of University of Tennessee, is so, so lame. <laughs> like, okay, so out of all of these little accolades that everybody wants to put out and all of that, congratulations, you beat Clemson in the Cherubundi Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl or whatever bowl game that you guys played in that doesn't fucking matter. You beat Clemson. So you got one little trophy, I guess, you could put in your trophy case. But other than that, you just got a bunch of participation awards. You guys are basically acting. You're, you're University of Tennessee because you, you're uh, you're uh, inner home divided between University of Tennessee and University of Texas, Mike. But So your University of Tennessee side is all about participation awards, just like the Colts hanging banners up in their rafters. It's shameful. It's ridiculous. You guys, if you're in the golden era, you have to have golden medals in the yeah. trophy case. Like, yeah. you guys are, like, not even bronze. I mean, do you guys even have a third-place trophy for anything? Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing to me. Like, I think all of it's a little bit silly, the whole, like, oh, this is a golden era of UT sport. And, look, they've been good in a lot of sports, right? Like, they've been good in basketball recently. They've been good in baseball recently. They, you know, have had at least one – good year of football. Wait, don't y'all want to fire the basketball coach? Like, isn't everybody kind of sick of the basketball uh, coach? I, I think, I think, I Golden think, era though, look, you know. I, I have a special perspective on Rick Barnes because I, as a Texas alum and, uh, you know, Tennessee fan, um, I wanted Barnes out of Texas for the exact same reasons that Tennessee fans want him out of Tennessee right now. He is a good coach. He's going to recruit you five-star players. Um, he is going to win during the regular season. You're going to be ranked. You're going to be in the the tournament every year. But ultimately, those five star players are not going to be maximized. Um, they're not going to the, turn into the superstars that you know, like you see a Brandon Miller or uh, you know these other guys that that come in and put up crazy numbers in college. They're, they're Barnes just cannot develop these guys from an offensive standpoint. Um, and Two, you're going to lose in the postseason before you should. It happened almost every year in Texas, and it was why they wanted him gone, and they ultimately hired Shaka Smart, which was a failure, and we'll see what happens with Rodney, Tara, Rodney Terry now. But um, 
I think everyone, at, nobody at Texas wants Barnes back. All right. It, it, you know, they're happy they moved on from him because they raised the ceiling in their opinion of what the, the program can be. Um, so yeah, I think Barnes, he's okay. He's fine. But I think this is what Tennessee's going to be. They're going to be like, maybe a sweet 16 team every other year. Like, but that's it. Like they're not going to go to final fours or win championships. Golden era. So. That sounds great. Golden era. But, and look, here's, here's the other thing for, for Tennessee. There is a metric that actually measures at the, like whole, cause you want to make this like the holistic thing of like all the sports at the school and, and everything. There is actually a cup like, called the director's cup that measures all of the colleges and how they perform across all sports. And they take like the, you know, your, whatever it is, I think it's like 19 best uh, finishing teams. And Stanford had won it like 25 years in a row, just because Stanford competes in like every sport. (laughs) Um, But Texas won it the last two years, but look, Texas and Stanford right now, Tennessee, I don't see them for the 21, 22 season. Maybe it'll be this year though. I mean, I think Tennessee's probably in the top, like, 15, top 10, maybe. But you're not, like, it's not like the, that this is a totally unique thing that, like, oh, my gosh, this is the best athletic department ever. Um, It's just, it's great. Like, it's great that you're good at all these sports, um, but win a championship or something. Like, win something that matters. Because, I mean, one good year of football does not mean you're in the golden era of football. Because you could, uh, you could really fall off this year with a much harder schedule with a, a guy in Joe Milton. That is what this is like his 10th year playing. He's like the Hunter Renfro of yeah. quarterbacks or something. And just because he has a big arm doesn't mean he knows how to use it. There's so many, there's so many variables for this Tennessee football team. And so many, like, I just don't get, it. I just don't know how without a, some kind of championship. You could seriously sit there with a straight face, put out a tweet of all these accomplishments that just mean you're you've lost a lot. Like you just <laughs> lost all those. You didn't win anything. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of the like, you know, hey, we were we were above average and everything. You know, like I, I just don't I think it's 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 great for the school. Like and and I think it's good for Tennessee that like they are actually relevant in all these yeah, sports good right for now because yeah. the, the baseball program was terrible for forever um, until uh, you know Vitello got there and and turned it around. Um, the basketball program has been up and down, but the basketball pro- program has had higher peaks than what they've had under Barnes. To me, like I mean, the Bruce Pearl peak was higher than the the Rick Barnes peak has been. Um, even some of the the you know teams back further than that uh had some some good runs as well so like the you know Ron Slay years and and things like that so i don't know that it's exceptional and the the football team isn't better than what they were you know 20 years ago um right now so i, I just think I, I i in the you know ladies basketball and all that like obviously the ladies basketball team is nowhere near what it used to be so i just i don't know that i even agree that it's the golden era of tennessee sports right now i think they're very good uh, but I don't think this is the best era of Tennessee sports in my lifetime. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at specific years, I guess, to, to see if maybe this was the best individual school year. But to me, an era is multiple years. Like it's over right. like a five year span at least. Um, and I don't I don't know that I would consider this a golden era. 
Fox Sports. Ridiculous. Uh, what pe- what people say when you know, on the radio with their their alma mater or hometown fan is is this you know Orange School national <laughs> radio. Um. Okay. This submarine thing because I got I do have oh, one yes. more tides topic <laughs> after we talk about this submarine thing. This submarine thing is the most ridiculous thing I have seen. So we are on our way back from, we're in the Detroit airport waiting to, uh, eating a, has eaten a Leo, Leo's Coney hot dog, ate, scarfed down two of those motherfuckers right before like 10.30 a.m. So it's like, (laughs) breakfast of champions, two hot dogs. Great start to the day. Airport hot dogs. And um, so we're sitting there and I look up at the TV and it's actually on Sky News, and it's it's actually the British Parliament are arguing about something or whatever. But at the bottom, and this is Monday, it says, you know, commercial sub- submarine uh, lost, has lost communication. We don't know where it's at. It's lost at sea, looking for the Titan. Okay, so that was a little weird, because like, why do you still, why are people still wanting to go down and see the Titanic at this point? I But it says commercial vest, uh, Thing. So I'm thinking like maybe a research or what. Then it goes from submarine. While I'm sitting there, right before we leave, it put up submersible mm. instead of submarine. So totally changed everything, but I didn't really think anything of it. Yeah. And then yesterday morning, you get to see what these oh idiots, these people with way too much money, built, thinking that they <laughs> know better than other people. This thing was literally, if you have not seen the video, because... The news it's reporter. Unbelievable. I don't Drop know who whatever the news you're reporter doing is. to find it. Yeah. yeah. You got to go because the news reporter just fu- is fucking laughing in their face, right? <laughs> like, he's it's like, so you got to be kidding me. When he shows them the controls and that's controlled by like a Bluetooth or Wi Fi enable, which is not going to work at some point underwater, right? That, that Bluetooth technology cannot work, I would assume, based on how they built it. A mad cat's. Controller like a Lexapro, I think it was Lexipro or something uh, as well, or Lina, Linaprovo or something. Yeah, but it reminded me of a Mad Cat's like GameCube controller that they took down, and that's what they're going to steer with. But then they show other shots, like right after it, of <laughs> just paper sides, <laughs> duct tape to, to written stuff. like sharpies <laughs> on it. Yes. It's- unbelievable it, like i don't know that i would go out in open water on top of the water on one of those things having looked at how they were actually like putting this thing together much less going like multiple miles beneath the surface of the ocean in this like metal death tube you know like it, and they it's, say it's as insane. big as a minivan but it did not look as big as a minivan uh, it, yeah, it might have been as big as a minivan on the outside but when you get in the like foot thick steel uh, you know, it, it is not as roomy as a minivan on the inside. It does not look like. And you know, they probably only plan for like a day trip because they're idiots, right? Like yeah. they plan to go 2.4 miles and spring back up. Oh, it'll just be a little day trip. We'll leave early in the morning. And they've been <laughs> stuck in this thing. What? Five of them have been stuck in this thing. And um, they're kind of stuck in there. They're kind of looking at it. And like, I can't believe when you look at the inside that like the toilet is literally just like a weird milk carton, like plastic milk carton or water bottle kind of deal with a handle on it. Yeah. Can you imagine the stench that is going on? Because you know that these, they're crying. They're, they're, they're shitting themselves, peeing Uh. themselves. 
and these are billionaires, people that have $250,000 to just throw away to go look at the Titanic, which just go watch the movie Titanic. I'm sure it's pretty accurate. Uh, unbelievable. Like At least the people that are like shooting themselves into space, like, you know, there's other stuff to look at, I guess, but like just looking at an old boat under the water, like I just, I cannot personally fathom doing that for like, five dollars much less two hundred fifty thousand dollars like you could make the price five dollars i'd look at that tube and still be like and eh, no thanks i'm good i don't i don't need to like check that off a bucket list or anything like that it's it's absolutely insane that these it, people agree to do this and i don't know what's been going on in the world of orcas but every time i see a meme about orcas killing people or like you know i i don't have orcas started just going on a mass murdering spree and I'm just not aware of it, but well, there was a, there was a news report about them like gathering in unusually large pods recently or something like that. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they've, uh, they've had enough of our shit and they're, they're ready to kick us off the, off the ocean. I love it. But I love all the orcas stuff like orcas coming in, you know, they got their, their banging stuff, trying to, you know, their sound of war drums before they go <laughs> eat them. I think it's hilarious. Um, Crazy. Okay, let's get back to Titans. So Warren Sharp puts out a tweet, and I see you just retweeted it, because I it actually came out while we were talking about run-pass ratios, which is hilarious. Yeah. And um, he says, I spent... Oh, hold on. Where is it at? Uh, I spend a lot of time objectively researching every team each offseason, which he does. If you do not buy the Sharp Analytics book that comes out in mid-July, during the dead period, you... It's definitely a must-buy. Looking for the good and bad as open-minded as possible. One thing I'll never be talked of is my belief that Todd Downing was a double agent trying to make life difficult for the Titans offense, which is sure as hell for, has felt like that all season. Like, you could just see, hear every Titans fan, like, in a, in a church going, amen, amen. Like, hallelujah, amen. Exactly. Like, to that. On first downs, Tennessee had the number two highest run rate despite defenses stacking the box at the number four highest rate. Unsurprisingly, the runs ranked number four worst in efficiency. I want to kind of pause there for a second. There have been plenty of times where Derrick Henry has ran against stacked boxes and has been extremely efficient. So this, to me, is technically, while a bad strategy, obviously, is not indicative of that you shouldn't do this just because they have stacked boxes. Now, maybe you find out early in the off season or early in the regular season that Derrick Henry is more Derrick Henry of 2023 than he is of 2020 or 2021 when he, before he got injured, but that should not stop you from running the football. It should stop you though. If it's not working. And nothing stopped them from running those loaded boxes, he goes on to say. Not even the fact that first down passes ranked number three in efficiency, which I have have harped on that Ryan Tannehill has been, and I've written about it, talked about it, tweeted about it, has been efficient early on. And then he throws up a graph, and it it puts them at their number three worst rushing offense and number three best passing offense on first down. Their first down runs did almost nothing but force them into third downs, highest rate of being forced into third down after a first down run in the NFL, but they repeat it over and over. Now, 
he also puts out this thing, this meme that says Titans on every third down. And it's the, you know, decrepit dead man who said, who's looking at Jesus. And he says, stop giving me your toughest battles. And Jesus says, just pass the ball some on first down. Fantastic <laughs> meme. Um, now, notice where he puts the blame. Because this goes back to our opening segment where we're talking about the run-pass ratio. He puts it squarely on Todd Downing, the offensive coordinator. And I, I fully believe that Todd Downing was a major issue for inefficient plays and play calling. Play design, and yes, there's personnel involved, but you're supposed to adapt to the personnel you have. We have seen the defense adapt to the personnel it has. Right, We've seen the defense change. We've seen the defense try to put players in the best chances to succeed on off on defense. They've had a hard time doing that on offense under Todd Downey. So again, he puts the blame. A guy who does this for a living at a higher level than everybody else who has seen Todd Downey and written about him when he was a Raiders offensive coordinator agrees that first off Todd Downing was the worst offensive coordinator in the NFL last year and agrees that the blame that Todd Downing is the reason why the offense was as horrible as it was. Not that it was bad, but as horrible as it was. Yeah. I mean, look in the first down run rate stuff, I remember talking about it. Uh, God, I think I talked about it after the, after the first game last season that that they were running the ball at an insane rate on first downs and getting very little out of it, and then it just continued all season long, and he never ever variated from it, and it was absolutely maddening to watch it, and and I don't know, I I will say. I'd I'd put a lot of that blame on Downing and maybe maybe Vrabel's trust of his assistants or or whatever was too much. Um but Vrabel at some point you're allowing it to happen, right? Like you can't you have the authority to go to Tom. He allowed say, Dennis Daly hey. to happen. You could say as much as you want it to be Keith Carter, yeah. and I agree that Keith Carter should have maybe have you shouldn't need Vrabel to tell you that Dennis Daly sucks. Right. But he still allowed it to happen. Yeah. And I do think Vrabel has to have some of the blame because it, it is under his jurisdiction. It is under his power to go to uh, Todd Downing and say, look, motherfucker, you cannot keep running the ball 80% of the time on first down and getting one or two yards per carry off of it. Like you cannot keep doing that. Um, it, it is it was malpractice all season. And to me, like I will blame downing first, but I, I think Vrabel does have to wear some of that. Um, and we'll see. I I'm hoping that maybe he's learned his lesson a bit from almost like a blind face. And, and I, I think there's a fine line, right? With any manager of people, there's a fine line between like micromanaging and just having your hands totally off the wheel, right? Like you have to find that middle ground of, all right, if something isn't going the way it's supposed to or the way that I want it to go, I can step in and correct without this guy feeling like now I have to run every decision by him or now I have, you know, no no freedom to do what I need to do. Because ultimately, you know, it's about hiring people that are good at their job and allowing them to do it, which I think is what Mike Vrabel wants to do with his staff. 
Um, you could say maybe he, his hiring hasn't always been the best. I think his hiring has been above average as coaches go. I think he's done a lot of, he's had a lot of good assistants that he's hired. Um, but at some point he's got to find that line of if shit's been going off the rails for six weeks and Dennis Daly is awful and not getting any better in pass protection, you've got to be able to go to Keith Carter and say, look, Keith, I know you like Dennis as, as a run blocker. We can't have him killing our passing game anymore and get him out of there. Like give Raiden's a shot. Let's see what he can do. You've got to be able to go to Todd Downing and say, look, Todd, I know we want to get the ball to Henry and get him going early in games. That's a big part of our identity, but you can't keep running in stack boxes every first down. Like you just can't. So there's got to be a better management from Vrabel of his staff to me. And I'm hoping that maybe that, that 2022 was a little bit of a lesson for him in that capacity, because look, I mean, he'd had almost nothing but success before this. Right. So it, it is, you know, maybe finally a kind of cold glass of water in his face that, all right, it, it, when things are going, I need to have a little bit more, you don't, you never want to be knee jerk, but you've got to have like a hand on the wheel. Uh, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's like the good thing is, is that Tim Kelly was given the credit for what the tight ends did, which they did very well. He was given the credit for the red zone offense or, you know, the scoring offense in the red zone. And he was given credit for um, early down passing, which if you remember what I just said, what Warren Sharp said, the team was number three, the third best team on first down passes. And they were highly efficient on first and second down passes. So that is a good thing for your Tennessee yeah. Titans heading into there. Okay, so PK, Paul Karski, your boss, your dad, he was on on Robbie and Rexford this morning, on Wednesday morning, like he always is at 8 a.m., and I caught him, and he said a couple interesting things. First, he's, he's chosen to steal my word of conundrum when describing quarterback questions. Uh, clearly has stolen that from me. Like he has came around and stole stuff and uh, that he said that I said about Ty J Spears. Um, but I find it interesting that he does not think the Titans will keep three QBs. He also says something interesting after that. But what do you think about that? Cause I think it's almost a certainty. The Titans are keeping three QBs. I, I understand where he's coming from and that like, the Titans have not kept three quarterbacks in the Vrabel era. Um, it's roughly 50. Like he wrote an article about it at paulkowarski.com as well, where he broke down like the percentage of teams that carried three throughout the, the season last year. And it was like roughly 50, 50. Um, but it, it's a good breakdown. If you want to go check that out um, between teams that carried three versus teams that carried two. So it's not like unheard of around the league, but there are teams that have certain philosophies where that, stands my question would be because it's important to remember that john robinson was in control of the 53 during that time mm-hmm. vrabel now we would assume is if he's not in control of the 53 explicitly he has more control over the 53 so i'll be interested to see whether that was a vrabel uh, thing or or a, maybe a, it was a Robinson thing that he only wanted to have the two quarterbacks on the on the 53 man roster 
I think when you add in the the rule change where you can have a third emergency quarterback available in case two get injured uh, in a game and it does not count against your otherwise active 48 um, for teams on game day, I think that factors in a little bit, just a little bit. Um, But ultimately, I think if Willis plays well enough in preseason, which preseason – you know, obviously practices will matter from a team evaluation standpoint, but preseason I think matters from a league evaluation standpoint, because if the team, if the Titans feel like, Hey, if we release Willis, he's not going to get through waivers. We're going to lose him and we're going to have to go find another, you know, scrap practice squad, third quarterback to throw on our practice squad. I don't think they're going to want to do that. I don't think they're going to lose Willis for nothing. I mean, it, it, as bad as he was last year, he's still a guy that was inve- that you invested a third-round pick in just a year ago. I know, different regime, all that stuff. But if he plays well in the preseason or at least shows like some progress in the preseason, I think you could maybe look at trading him if he has some some value and Levis clearly shows that he's the guy. But otherwise – I think there's some value in keeping him and having a third quarterback around, um, having a backup for 2024 when, you know, assuming Tannehill is not back, which I don't think he will be, um, you know, Tannehill moves on and then you've got Levis and Willis and you've got a super cheap, you know, hopefully pretty good backup quarterback situation at that point um, that could be workable for the next two years. So, I think there's a lot of value in keeping him on the roster, even if he's not going to provide any value. Like he's not going to play special teams, obviously, and stuff like that. Right. But I mean, look, the bottom of this roster is complete trash. It, it, like I did that 53 man roster projection and I'm keeping guys like, you know, Jaden Peavy and I'm keeping guys like, uh, uh, you know, Tyreek Jones and, and these like, you know, and Mike, I think I had Mike Brown on the 53. Like you tell me we need to have Mike Brown on the 53 man roster instead of Malik Willis, who could eventually like pr- at least bring back a trade asset or something like that at some point in the future. I, I just, I can't justify keeping some scrub guy that you could find on the, like if, if someone got hurt, you could find Mike Brown on the street immediately and plug him in like that. That is not an issue. Um, so to me, Malik Willis would have to be really bad in preseason for the Titans not to try to keep three. I, I just, I think they're going to, I think they're going to keep three. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm at. It's, it's not the fact that I think that Malik is some great asset. You have no, to keep yeah. or anything. It's the fact that the rules change and the bottom of this roster sucks. And they learned last year they desperately needed three quarterbacks. Because do you really want? Do you really want to feel forced to have to go back to Josh Dobbs again? Like at some point, and then you look at what the San Francisco 49ers went through. It's just it just makes too much sense. But this also brings up to kind of segues it to another point he made, which I think is was our everybody's initial thoughts on the outset after the draft and heading into rookie Manning mini camp, but we kind of got lost along the way because those at the, because the way that the media has limited access has forced them to kind of put up clips and put up videos of Malik versus Will Levis. Now 
I am not turning this into nor was PK turning this into Will Levis versus Ryan Tannehill. But what he said essentially was that we need to stop comparing and making it be Will Levis and Malik Willis. It needs to be how much can Will Levis gain ground on Ryan Tannehill? How much can he show us of what he's supposed to be? Because what he's supposed to be, supposed to, he's supposed to be the 2024 Titans QB, starting quarterback. Now, that is the, the plan. Now, plans can change, but that needs to be the standard that we hold him to. It's not that can he, who's going to be quarterback to Will Levis or Malik Willis. It needs to be how much in practice can Will, and in preseason, can Will Levis show everyone that he's more like Ryan Tannehill, less like Malik Willis? Because although that Malik Willis has shown improvement, he had a very low bar to clear in that regard. Like he was horrendous and awful in last year in games. We have yet to see him in a game, right? So we don't really know how much he's improved, but we do know that in shirts and shorts versus shirts and shorts and scripted plays that he looks better. He he looks more comfortable. And that matters for Malik Willis, and that matters for this team's outlook on Malik Willis. But he's he had he had such a low bar to clear an improvement that everybody's just like, oh well, Malik Willis is he's back. We're we're back on the Malik Willis train, and that really doesn't mean anything at this point in time. But you need to see. We need to start holding Will Levis away from Malik Willis and closer to Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I mean, ultimately. Ultimately, it doesn't matter, right, who wins, like, between those two. Levis is the guy that they want to have this job long-term. They, If they didn't feel that way, they would not have traded up to take him at 33, obviously. So, Levis is the guy they want to win it. He's going to have to win it, right? Like, he is going to – they aren't going to just give it to him for the sake of giving it to him. He's going to have to win it. But I think ultimately that is what you want to start seeing is him taking the steps, getting closer to Tannehill. And look, for what it's worth, I think Levis will take those steps. Because like we talked about guys doing the right thing away from the building and everything like that over the next six weeks and how important that'll be. I, like, I'm not, I don't have a single doubt that Will Levis will be doing the right things away from the building, that he's going to be training, that he's going to be studying, that he's going to come back with a better mastery of the playbook, that he's going to have worked on the things that Tim Kelly and Charles London uh, and Mike Vrabel have asked him to work on. And I would imagine that he will have improved some of those things. So I think we will start to see him separate himself as the second quarterback in training camp pretty early on. And then you would hope that, yeah, it becomes more of a Levis-Tannehill thing than a Levis-Willis thing as we get closer to the start of the season. And and look, I don't think Levis is going to push for the starting job no. by week one. I, I That's not what I'm saying. But I, I do this think... This team's not going to... Unless someone comes in and offers them like a crazy, crazy offer for Ryan Tannehill, they're keeping Ryan Tannehill. 
Like yeah. they're going for DeAndre Hopkins because they, whether you feel they're deluded or not, which they're probably like 50% deluded. They think that they can win the Super Bowl. Like, um, I think I mean, they, they think they win the division. And then like, I think they view it as if we win, we win the division first and then who knows what happens in the playoffs. Yeah. Like maybe Mahomes and Burrow both twist ankles and you know, right. whatever, you know, like you never know what happens. Um, well, not that like a twisted ankle ever stops Patrick Mahomes, anyways, because that happened last playoffs and he still won the fucking Super Bowl. Um, but anyways, I I do think, um, I, yeah, I think they want to win, and I think Tannehill still will give them the best chance to win this season. But I, I think Levis will eventually be the quarterback number two, and and Willis will be the number three. You would love for Willis to be good though. Like yeah, I've, I keep saying like the ideal situation is that they're both good and that they're they give the Titans like an asset uh, moving forward to do something with. Um, and one, one thing I want to hit on from uh, the comments real quick, because I've seen this a few different times is this uh, the concept of like Levis in like splitting reps three ways. Uh, the question is like, how is Levis supposed to develop splitting reps? three ways that, he was going to split reps three ways anyways. Like, whether Malik Willis is here or not, there's going to be a third quarterback on the practice squad or on the active roster. And it doesn't matter from a rep standpoint whether that guy's on the practice squad or the active roster. They're still going to distribute reps the same way. So that's the way all teams are going to do it. There's no team is going to only have two quarterbacks in training camp, much less, you know. Or, Some teams have more. Yeah, some teams have four. You know, a lot of times there's four. So I definitely think, you know, at some point you're going to want Levis to become the true, like, number two and to get all the second team reps. I can I can understand that, and I think that will happen pretty quickly. But I, there's always going to be a third quarterback in the mix. It was Logan Woodside uh, and Malik Willis last year. And, and it, you know, every, every year there's going to be a third um, arm in camp. Yeah, I'm with you. I saw that too. Um, I think that will do it for us. I think we wrapped that up uh, nice and neat right there. Um, he's Mike Herndy. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. You follow me on Twitter at Efforts Pod. My name is Zach Lyons. This, we're going to do a quick out. This has been Football Under the F, where it's sponsored by Bluegrass Beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And you have just been effed.